0: Father's Fatherhood is heavy. A lot of responsibility to have young people underneath us. We thank God for that. And uh, Matt and Elizabeth, great job with that video. Very touching. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you that when we feel responsibility or weight that is too heavy have a helper. And thank you, God, that our helper is not one who cannot relate to what we're needing help with, but the helper knows. Knows what we're feeling and knows what we're dealing with. And in particular, this huge weight of fatherhood and parenting, Father, is the very analogy that you use to help us understand you. You Are our Father in heaven, and we are your children. Father, we worship you. We want to learn from you. And we ask that you would help us now. We look to your word, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week we started a new series going through the minor prophets, but since today is Father's Day, we're going to venture away, and I want to ask you to turn to Psalm 128. Psalm 128, that'd be page 564, if you want to use the Pew Bible there, the Black Pew, Pew Bible, page 564, and we're going to look today at the blessed man, the blessed man. Father's Day is emotional, it's heavy, uh, so many thoughts, thankful, so very thankful for my father who taught me well. Burdened that I'm a father now with children. Mindful that our church is full of men, young men and old men that need to understand what it means to be a man of God. And the responsibility of pointing them in that direction and leading them there. So very aware that many people do not know their fathers. Some have already lost their fathers. Uh, some are spending Father's Day today without their father and perhaps for the very first time. There's a lot, of, a lot of thoughts here today. And so we will do what we always do and what we know to do and what God has taught us to do. We will look to God in seeking to understand what the blessed man is. If you'll remember, I said this on Mother's Day as well. I want to remind you all that we have fathers. We may or may not have a good, healthy relationship with them. But we also have a lot of people that are fatherly to us. For that, we ought to be aware and, and reminded of today, too. I have a dad who's a good dad. And I will talk to him here after lunch today, and I can't wait to. And With technology, I'll be able to even see him as I talk to him, and that'll be special. But there are also other men in my life who have impacted me well. I may or may not get to talk to them today. But one is actually here today and hasn't been here in months. I don't know if y'all know, but Mr. Bob Samuels is here today. Mr. Bob, we're glad you're here. Mr. Bob has been battling some health issues for the past several months. It's the first time he's been here, but I have been here now 15 years. I moved here in 2003, and I have no family in Kentucky, and I was a single young man when I moved here, and many, many men in Fairdale have impacted my life, but one is Mr. Bob. Mr. Bob, thank you so much. When I look to the Word of God, I want to understand what God says a man is to be like. And there are really many, many, many passages. The book is long. The Bible is long. There is a lot there that we need to study. But one really good one that's simple and basic, nothing today is going to be over your head, is Psalm 128. God speaks to the simplicity and yet the great responsibility of being a man. I want to read it. I want to look at three points. I want to cover several things today. Read with me, if you will, Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. And your children will be like olive shoots at your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's Peace be upon Israel. It's really hard to understand what is the measure of a man. It's hard to understand what is a man exactly. That's a great discussion. People are always asking, what is a good man? What is a real man? What 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 are these things? How should we define our lives? What's the measure? And yet we get to something like, psalm 128 and it's nothing technical here i told you it's simple since my college years i've been reading books on manhood and trying to understand what god has called me to be along with the bible i want to read you this paragraph from randy stinson's book on biblical manhood biblical manhood faces some of its greatest challenges where it's most needed in the home The relationship between fathers and their children is too often minimalistic and punctuated by anger and volatility. As a pastor, I can tell you that the most common thing we hear all the time is that men struggle with anger. They're frustrated. Men who are able to lead well in a marketplace or the local church too often find their homes unmanageable. And so they resort to survival or Escape tactics like their man cave or ball games or yard work or something that keeps them busy and out of the presence of the people. Escape tactics as their default form of fathering. These dads typically protect their families from harm and provide the resources their children need in order to be sheltered, clothed, fed, educated, and entertained but find it frustrating to provide much else. Fatherhood requires engaged leadership, but it's all about serving others. As a result, you have to transition from any role you might have at work where you lead others into a context of service at home. You go home to serve and give yourself away. Your leadership isn't toward yourself. It's always directed toward others. Home is the place where your leadership will be needed around the clock and where your vulnerabilities will be most obvious. But it's also the place where you have the potential to bear the most fruit as you shape little hearts for eternity. I would imagine that there's not a man or woman here, not an adult here, that watched that video we just saw, a simple video, hardly any words said, of a kid with a face, with a life, with a soul, with a future, holding a sign that says, teach me, to which every one of us thinks, I want to, I ought to, I need to, I should. But how? How do we? All of us mean well. Come on, I'll give you all the benefit of the doubt. You all mean well. But God expects more than meaning well. God wants us to look to the Father in heaven and learn from him how he is to us. Pastor Tony Evans gets much stronger when he says, the first group that ought to know that you take God seriously is not the church house. It is your house. The first group that ought to know that you are a kingdom man is your own home. If they don't know it, then it doesn't matter what everyone else thinks about you. That stings, doesn't it? It seems like Christianity today in the USA, or at least here in in our circles, is we are better Christians at our church than we are at our home, and this is not the way God intends it to be. God, as we studied in Sunday school this morning, looks on the inside of us, not on the outside. Let's be fair and honest. I know you guys, but only know a little bit of you guys. Those at home know you so much better. Tony Evans is speaking right to the heart of it. Again, the first group that ought to know that you're a kingdom man is your own home. If they don't know it, then it doesn't matter what everyone else thinks about you. He goes on to say, and this things as well, you ought to be a kingdom man at home first. Your first concern should not be the White House. It should be your house we got some people today calling themselves Christians that are pretty worked up over the White House in one direction or another. Favorable or unfavorable. They're more concerned about it than they are their own house. How can this be the case? How can this be the case? And yet God could have used a million analogies. Used a handful. He's a shepherd to sheep, right? He's a He's a gardener to seeds and plants. But the one we're most familiar with from God is that he is a father to children, a father in heaven, and he calls us his children. But as I've said to you all often over the years, he's not the father to everybody. He is fatherly to everybody. He is doing good to everybody. He is gracious and merciful and patient to everybody. He is slow to anger with everybody. He loves everybody, but he's not the father of everybody. He is fatherly to everybody, but only the father to those who have been forgiven of their sins through God giving his son Jesus. The Bible is crystal clear that if you do not know Christ and come through Christ, you do not know the father. There is only one way to father God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who the Father sent to die for our sins. What great love the Father has lavished upon us that we could be called children of God. So today we look to our Father in heaven to hear what he says about the blessed man. I want to do this by asking three questions. I hope they will sink deep in you. And I hope that you will not even find the answers here by the end of our service today. But rather, I hope these answers will be dug out of your deep soul over the next couple days. I want to ask three questions to you, men and women. Who are you? Who are you? Number two... What do you have? What do you have? Number three, what will you leave? What will you leave? This comes straight from Psalm 128. Number one, who are you? Look at Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks In his ways, God describes blessing as coming from an attitude, or a direction, or a posture, or a positioning ourselves toward God. The fear of the Lord is this awesome phrase that we find in the scriptures that describes trust, that that describes uh, faith, that describes devotion, uh, love, respect, reverence toward God. I hope you feel in your life that there are people that you do not at all on any level ever want to dishonor. You don't ever want to make them look bad. You don't ever want to say something bad about this person or do anything to make them look bad or make them feel bad or anything like that. And this is kind of what we're getting at with the fear of the Lord. And then it expands upon that. It's this recognition that God is God. He's my, he's my maker. He's bigger than me, more powerful than me. He's smarter than me. He knows what I need more than I do. He cares for me both. He knows how to take care of me better than I do. And the fear of the Lord is one that gets that. And yet, while we understand some about the fear of the Lord, people are always asking, well, does that mean I'm just super scared? Or or what does it mean? It kind of can sound bad. But it does us a huge favor here in Psalm 128.1. And it gives like a practical definition of the fear of the Lord. It says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Who walks in his ways. Who are you? Do you fear the Lord? Do you walk in his ways? Or is your life in all honesty still governed by you? You you haven't surrendered to God. You don't bow your knee to God. Your heart's not bowed to him. You're hiding things. You're lying to yourself. You're not honest with God. You're not honest with you. Today's a struggle for you because yesterday was an inconsistent day for you. Are you Do your children wonder who you are? Do your family members wonder who you are? In a weird turn of events. Yesterday, I went to volunteer at a, at a place to, to help out. We were doing some kind of uh, manual labor, some dirt work, some grunt work, and I got connected with this, this other man, and it was just us two, and we're raking dirt together, and it was 100 degrees. Within minutes, he says, man, I ain't trying to get too personal, but why did you become a preacher? I gave him an answer. He said, well, the reason why I've asked, because I, here I am a grandpa, and I'm still trying to figure out what my purpose is. I haven't really figured it out. So we started talking from there, and I'm saying some things, and it was within minutes that he says, you know, I was raised by a man that said he went to church, was real involved with church, and it really screwed me up, messed me up. My whole life I was thinking, if that's what church men are like, I don't want anything to do with it. He went on and on. I said, well, let me tell you the first thing about church, it ain't about church. It's about God. And anytime churches are wrapped up in something about themselves or something about their church, and it ain't about God, it ain't right. I said, I assure you that however he misrepresented God, God's not that way. God is good. God loves you. He'll take care of you. Man, I wish you could see what God's like instead of what that man was like or what that church was like. But I'm talking to a grandfather yesterday who is still talking to a younger man about a man who tried to represent God to him or didn't try to represent God to him, and it was so inconsistent, hypocritical, ineffective, bad. Somebody should have said to him a long time ago, who are you? Who are you? Man, I want to ask you here today, There's a lot of responsibility, as that video showed, as Jesus teaches the impact upon children. Who are you? Is this as spiritual as you get right here, and at home it just goes downhill and worse? Is this as nice and smiley as you get right here, and at home it just gets worse? Is this as prayerful as you get right here, and at home it's just dry as can be? Because let's be honest, guys, this is not a prayerful time. If this is your prayer life, this is not a prayer life. We're in here for an hour and 15 minutes and we just throw out some prayers. We haven't hit the heart of anything. Today, I don't think we haven't prayed for a single child. We've prayed for one young man that's a missionary. We haven't prayed for a child. We haven't prayed for their safety or for their future. We haven't prayed for their salvation. We haven't prayed for their academics. We haven't prayed because they're getting bullied at school. We haven't prayed for their spouse. We haven't prayed for their suffering. We haven't prayed for anybody who's struggling with drugs today or the the group they hang out with today. We haven't prayed for any of that. If this is the extent of your religious life and you're praying, we don't know who we are. We don't says, blessed is everyone that fears the Lord who walks in his ways. To go further on what it means to fear the Lord, Psalm 36.1 says this, listen, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Wickedness is a picture of not fearing God. Doing evil and wrong and bad things and rebelling in a strong way is because we're not thinking about God. We're not afraid of God. We're not looking to God. We're not trusting in Him. And Psalm 36.1 is telling us the reason why wicked and evil and badness and corruption and those things are coming out of us is when we are not looking to God. There's no fear of God before us. On the contrary, the Proverbs teach us what the fear of the Lord looks like. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs say. Meaning, we watch a video like that and we think, man, it's a big responsibility to be a father. I need help. I need wisdom. I need need God. Where do I get that from? It starts, it begins with fearing the Lord. It surrenders to God. I need your help. God, I don't know how to be a dad. I need you. God, I don't know how to be a man. I need you. I need your ways. We have the scriptures teaching us what the not fearing the Lord looks like, evil and wicked deep in the heart. And we have the scriptures teaching us what the fear of the Lord does look like. It is the beginning of wisdom, learning to walk in his ways. I want to ask you here today, who are you? Verse 2 goes on to say that it will produce in you a blessedness. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. What an answer you have there in verse 2. Blessed is the man. He feels like life is well with him. It doesn't speak to I have so much that it's well with me. It doesn't speak to everything is so good that it's well with me. It speaks to the blessing of God. I want to remind you here in verse 2 that it's speaking directly to uh, getting reward from the fruit of the labor of your hands. That working and earning and therefore providing comes in the blessing of looking to God on how this is supposed to be. You may remember that that's not how things began. When God created Adam in the garden, he was to work. It was to work not with a curse, just work and enjoy it, work and provide, work and harvest, work and let that be a part of you. Work is a good thing. But then when they fell into sin and they disobeyed God, God cursed them, and then their work was to be cursed. It was to be harder. It was to be more difficult. Not only would they be gardening to to get some produce to eat, but they would be gardening with uh, uh, opposition. There would be thorns and weeds and problems, and it wouldn't go well, and there would be pests, and it would be difficult. And that's the world we live in today, right? How many times have we said, nothing's ever easy? Even work is not easy. But God does teach us. That the blessed man who fears the Lord, who walks upright, who wants to do life through God's wisdom will find himself working and laboring and yet through his labor with his hands bearing fruit and he will be able to say, it's okay, it it is well with me. The Lord is my shepherd and I will not need anything. God has provided for me. Who are you? Do you view work that way? Do you view life that way? Do you realize that if you work enough and earn enough and spend less, then it will be well with you? Have you thought about God's ways in that way? Have you thought that God wants to teach us to be good stewards and responsible in certain areas so that we can be content with who we are and content with what we have? Do you realize that God wants to move us into a place where we say, I'm blessed and It is well with me. Notice that in all of this, very little of it is about material possession. Not very much of this is about wealth or money. But rather it is the blessing of God. It is the understanding that this is how God wants me to be. This is how God would have me do it. This is a way that is honoring him. This is walking in his ways. Who are you? Do you walk in his ways? Do the people at work look at you as upright, as honest, as dependable, as faithful, as trustworthy, accountable, helpful? Who are you? At work, who are you? At home, who are you? In the neighborhood, who are you? These are the questions that God wants us to be able to answer. And if you're not Putting two and two together, here's what it should be: You should be somebody blessed by the Lord because you fear the Lord because you walk in His ways. Who you are last night at one a.m. ought to be who you are this morning at eleven a.m. And who you are this morning at eleven a.m. ought to be who you are when you clock in tomorrow morning at nine a.m. And should be who you are tomorrow afternoon when you get home at six p.m. Albeit up and down, albeit living life through the struggles and albeit through the highs and the lows and the difficulties and the. Fr- frustrations and the stresses and all of that, all the same, the same person, one who walks in his ways, the blessed man who fears the Lord. If you're aware today that you are not who you ought to be, would you turn to God? Would you say, God, I, I know I'm struggling with who I am. I'm struggling with who I ought to be. I hear you say what I ought to be, and I've not been it. Would you repent? Would you seek the Lord and say, God, help me? Would you allow this Father's Day of 2018 to be the day that you want to say, I want to start walking in his ways. I want to get right. I want to set my eyes on him. I want to fear the Lord. I want wisdom, and I know where it starts. Who are you? May you be able to answer, I am the blessed man or the blessed woman. I fear the Lord, and I want to walk in his ways. It's not very complicated. We know what the ways of the Lord are. He's written it down for us. We read them often. We have Bible studies nearly every day of the week. I preach here every Sunday. The ways of the Lord are always before us. May we be that person who says, I am who I am by the grace of God. Through Christ, with forgiveness of sins every time I fail, which is often, which is daily, I am one who is looking to the ways of God to fear the Lord and walk in his ways. May that be you. First question, who are you? Second question, what do you have? When you start asking in a in a in a sermon or a talk on manhood and what do you have, our mind almost immediately goes to our, our our jobs and our identities and our wealth and our incomes. It's unbelievable if you hang around some young kids today. They will quickly start telling you how much their shoes cost or their Xbox costed or how much their parents' car costed, or how much their parents got when their tax returns came in, and what they spent them on the very first day that they got the money, believe it or not. Or they'll start talking to you about what their parents make in a year or what their parents have in their savings account and it's like we have become obsessed with having things and thinking that's where identity comes from it's not folks it's not and everybody here that doesn't have much suffers because they think it's not enough and everybody here who has a lot suffers because they realize it's not enough One wants more, and they're hurting because they don't have more. One has enough, and they're hurting because it doesn't satisfy. The Bible speaks to the blessed man, and it speaks to what you have, and it's not even stuff. I wanted to put, who do you have, but I knew that that would be too easy for us. So I said, what do you have? Look at verse 3. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. I realize that not everybody has a wife. But notice that he immediately after talking about the blessed man goes to what he has, goes to who he has. And while you may not be having a wife or children as verse 3 is going to point us to, you do have things and you do have people in your life. Perhaps your friends, perhaps your mentors, perhaps your extended family. Some of you all have cousins that you're very dear to, uh, aunts and uncles that you're very dear to, children that you're dear to, that you're raising, that you're impacting, those that you mentor, nieces and nephews, could be players that you coach, could be uh, students that you teach. What do you have? A wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, and your children will be like olive shoots. The blessed man is one who has people around him, people in his life. It's saddening today to hear about how isolated we are and how depressed we are and how discouraged we are in life. And the one obvious there is that we don't have people around us. We don't have support systems. We don't have foundations. And it's a bigger, longer sermon, and it's a bigger, longer case study for why is that the case? Because there are people everywhere, right? We've all heard people say, I've got a thousand friends on Facebook, but I have no friends, right? This is the way we talk. This is the world that we live in. And yet, in verse 3, immediately talking about the blessed man, he describes a a wife in the home that's fruitful. She's happy. She's flourishing. She's glad to be there. She's glad to be his husband. Can you to be his wife? Can you imagine? It seems like today, if there are people married, they're just trudging along through it. They're making it. Although it's a challenge and it's an uphill climb. And yet the Bible describes the woman here as a fruitful vine. Hey, it's been hot lately and we haven't had rain here lately. And if you've got any potted plants around the house, you better have been watering them. And for all of us that forgot to water them, you know they're looking pretty dried up and dead. So often, if they're even still married... The wife looks dried up and dead. Not physically, you know what I mean. The the, the life of her, the joy of her, the happiness of her has been sucked out of her. Because it's so difficult being married to this guy who doesn't fear the Lord and walk in his ways. But how can a woman in a house with a man be a fruitful vine? Well, here's why. The calling of God on a man to marry and vow and commit to a woman is as big as it can possibly get. The issues in the scriptures that often get debated is how does the Bible call a woman to be submissive to a man? That's hardly complicated when you see that God tells a man to love his wife the way Jesus loves us. What did Jesus do for us? He sacrificed himself. He laid himself down. He gave his life. Listen. He died for his wife. We got men all over the place who can't even stand to be with her. Because you don't fear the Lord. Because you don't read the word. Because you don't care. You don't care enough. And if it hurts, let it hurt. That video hurts. Because we have so much in our life that ought to be different, and it's not, and we know that, and it hurts. The Bible teaches us that God loves us in such a way that he put his money where his mouth is. He put it all down for us. He died for us. And there's not a person here that cannot and should not be feeling love of God. He loves you. And Christ uses the analogy that he's the husband and the church is his bride. That great love of God does, it does, it does produce in the bride fruitfulness. I love God. I struggle to love God, but I love God. You know why? He loves me. I know that he loves me. If I'm not being fruitful, it's not because of him. It's my fault. And the Bible describes in Psalm 128 that the blessed man, that it's well with him, that fears the Lord and walks in his ways, will have a wife that is like a fruitful vine in the house. Why is she so happy and fruitful? Because he is laying his life down for her. He is serving her day and night. He has given his all. He is sacrificing himself for her. Of course she's fruitful. Of course she loves him back. Sometimes it's hard for us to actually see that, but that's why we read the Word. But then he goes on to describe children will be like olive shoots. I had to do a little bit of research on what these olive shoots mean. An olive shoot comes off of the vine, right? Comes off of the vine, comes off the plant, and starts as this little plant. Takes about 5, 10, 12, 15 years before you've actually got the olive plant. Takes a long time. So does child rearing, right? Takes a long time. Takes 12 14, 16, 18 years to raise them up. But you know what I found out, and I did not know this, that once the olive plant gets going, there are olive plants in the Middle East right now that are over 2,000 years old. Once they grow up, they produce. There are olive plants that have grown up That are still, still, still producing. This is what the Bible says. The blessed man who walks in his ways will have. But notice where it says he will have it. Man, is the Bible applicable in 2018? Or is the Bible applicable in 2018? Where will they be together? Where will they be? At the table. Imagine that. Imagine that. We used to hear that the family that prays together stays together, but as Dr. Moeller has said so acutely, uh, that the family that eats dinner together stays together because it is so rare. So now what we hear today is, well, I mean, we sometimes eat dinner together, but it's on the couch in the living room around the TV. That's not the way it's supposed to be. When we eat at the table like this is saying, it doesn't even say eating here. It's picturing a family that kind of has that huddle at least once a day. That kind of has that family meeting, that has that gathering where you sit down. Now, when you're busy and you've got things going on, surely this isn't going to happen every night. There's some Wednesdays where you get off work and you hurry to church, right? There's some days where you hurry and you go to Boy Scouts or you hurry and you go to ball practice or something like that. But as often as you can, at every opportunity that you get, huddle the team up and sit down and enjoy it. Turn the TV off, set the phone away, and just say, how you doing? Let's play a game. How was school today? Did you do your homework? How are things going? How's such and such doing? Tell me something good that happened today. Tell me something bad that happened today. It's amazing how much happens at the dinner table if we ever get there. And in Psalm 128, describing the blessed man, we have God saying that. That the blessed man will have a wife that's happy, she's fruitful, and will have children that are around the table. And shame on us if we have children but we don't get them around the table. Men, listen to me. If you've never done it before, it's all right. Start today. Start today. If you don't like soccer, there's no good sports on TV. There's no football. There's no basketball. Chill out. Turn off the TV. You're not watching anything you like anyway. Sit around the table. There's nothing going on tonight. It's Father's Day. Fathers, get them around the table. Sit there and talk. I can't tell you how many times, and, and, and we're busy too, so we're not able to that much. But when we do, I can't tell you how many times we just sit around and talk, and then we fight, and then we argue, and then we get mad. It's the same as at y'all's house, and we sit around and we do all of that. But then we settle down. We remind ourselves how awesome it is that mom cooks. We pray together. You know, one of the reasons that we don't pray together is because we never have prayed together. And it's awkward to start if you've never started, right? We know that. And one of the reasons why kids don't want to pray with their friends or pray with their ball team or pray anywhere is because they've never been able to pray. God is great. God is good. Let me thank you for your food is a great place to start. Say, I'm going to pray today. JJ, you're going to pray tomorrow. Noah, you're going to pray the next day. Carolina, you're going to pray the next day. Just go like that. It can be the simplest thing. You sit around the table and you, you get to talking. But I can't tell you how many times that around the table we've gotten towards the end, I've said, all right, guys, listen up. Here's what we're going to do. It's about 7 o'clock right now. We've got two hours before bed. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to first do the dishes. JJ, you're going to clean them. Eli, you're going to load them. Noah, you're going to do the trash, all right? After that, we're going to go outside, and we're going to uh, go for a family walk. And then when we come back, y'all can do whatever you want. You have an hour of free time. If you want to play video games, you can do an hour. If you want to go outside and shoot basketball, you can do that. And they love that structure. They love me saying, you got two hours, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do some chores, then we're going to do a little family walk, then you've got an hour of whatever you want. They love that. But you know where it happens? At the table. But when you sit there, not at the table, or you sit there on your own, you haven't prayed together, the TV's distracting, and then as soon as you're done, may may I be excused? Yeah, you go throw it in the sink and you run off, and next thing you know, you're like, it's too late, it's bedtime, hurry up, right? There's no structure there. God is teaching us here, and it's not complicated. You don't need a big book on how to be a good dad. You don't need another book on how to be a biblical man or a godly father. It says this, your children around your table. This is not too hard for us. We can do it. You can do it. Blessed is the man who walks in his ways. Who are you? But number two, what do you have? But notice, it's not what do you have. It's who do you have? Who do you have in your life? Have you invested in somebody, anybody? I want to tell you all this story just to encourage you about life and encourage you about this concept, get it way outside the family. Two weeks ago, I was at a basketball camp, and I wanted to get another boy to go to another basketball camp this past week. And I asked him, and he said he couldn't go. His mom had to work, and he wouldn't have a ride. Well, one of our young men in our church, Cedric, was there with me, and I said, well, Cedric will be glad to take you to camp. <laughs> I didn't ask Cedric, but I know Cedric's heart, so I said, Cedric would be glad to take you to camp. Well, then they said, well, I'm not sure if we can pay the way. And I said, well, Cedric's got a job. Cedric, be glad to pay your way. (laughs) And Cedric was, guys. I thank God for that. But the next day, we were here at the Thursday morning ladies' Bible study, and I told that same story. I said, ladies, Cedric's got a job, and he's glad to pay his way. But you know what's really cool? Y'all love Cedric, I know you do, and he loves you guys. Some of y'all can't take kids to basketball camps, but you could probably afford to pay. Matter of fact, you could probably afford to pay the way and pay Cedric's gas and pay Cedric's lunch and buy the kids' lunch, too. You could probably do that. And you know what happened? All sorts of ladies opened up their purses. I think it was only supposed to be 40 bucks, and Cedric ended up with 100. <laughs> Who do you have in your life? that you can care about, that you can love on, that you can say, man, if it's my responsibility, just think of what those signs said. One said, care about me. One said, be compassionate to me. One said, spend time with me, teach me, love me, show me truth. Who do you have that's getting the ways of God from you? You know, one of the things that God says to us that's as simple as simple can be, I will never leave you. Who do you have that you will never leave? Who has you that that they know will always be there? Who in your life is right now struggling, but one thing they know, rock solid, you're going to always be there? Because that's what God says as a father to us. He will never leave us or forsake us. The question is, what do you have? Because we immediately start to look to our retirements and is our home good enough or is our car good enough or are our clothes good enough or those sorts of things. But when you start reading here, it says the wife, it says the children, it says around the table. And then verse 4 just hits us with that strong reminder again. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The blessing is coming from God's ways. We were riding in the car just the other day. My third child, my youngest boy, Noah, says, Dad, which one's better, having a big family or having a lot of money? I said, well, why's it got to be either or? I'm not sure what he was thinking about. I don't know what prompted that. But I think you know who you have is better than what you have. Who you have can know God. What you have can't. Who you have can be blessed. What you have can't. Who you have can know the ways of God. What you have can't. Who are you? What do you have? And lastly, what will you leave? What will you leave? Look what verse 5 says. The Lord bless you from Zion, from God's holy hill, from his Jerusalem, from his spot. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of of your life one of the great challenges in our ever changing world is how do you keep something that seems good good down the road it seems like the suffering America the suffering Bible Belt of America is constantly looking back looking backward to what we call better days and that is so frustrating it is so discouraging and anybody younger than anybody older that hears people say that doesn't take anything positive away from it If all the good old days were behind us, then that's not good. If things were better then, that's not good. And the blessing here is that you would see the prosperity, the effectiveness, the happiness, the the goodness, the successes in the future. All the days of your life, your children's children, and peace as this psalm ends, what will you leave? What will your family be like when you're gone? Does the family get around the table and talk and pray? Does the family get together to eat? Do, once a year do you do Christmas? Is there a family game night ever? Do you ever have a family reunion? Is it awesome when everybody gets together? Who started that? Was there a patriarch father or grandfather? Was there a, a, was there a matriarch mother or grandmother that held everybody together? I can tell you of a hundred funerals I've done. Where somebody has said at the funeral home, he or she was the one that held us all together. I don't know what's going to happen with us now. They're the one that kept us all together. I don't know what's going to happen. We must be thinking about God and his ways and fearing the Lord and walking in his ways and longing that we would leave it better than we found it. We must go back to that quote I read at the beginning that this is the biggest responsibility and go all in on sacrificing ourselves and serving ourselves for those that live in our home so that those that live in our home would get the ways of God from us. Marlon Longacre, who preached here at our homecoming three or four years ago, said, You cannot do anything about your ancestors, but you can do a lot about your descendants. It's a good quote. Hey, if your mom or dad or grandma or grandpa were a mess and you're still living off of their bad influences, you can't do anything about that, I understand. But you can absolutely do something about those who come after you. If your father wasn't there, guess what? You, you can be there. If your grandfather wasn't there, you can be there. If they didn't teach you the ways of God, you can teach them the ways of God. To this day, I don't have a single time in my life where my father sat me down and prayed with me, not even once. Now, we have prayed together. I had to learn from God and his ways to pray with my sons, to pray with my daughters. But I hope that way after I'm gone, they'll sit around the table they'll pray. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. What, what, about, what about Fairdale? What about South Louisville? What about your neighborhood or your family or where you live? Is it getting better because of you? Are better days ahead? Are things looking up because of the what you're leaving behind? Does your contributions there with happiness, with teaching, with coaching, with effectiveness, is it getting better? What will you leave? I know you're concerned about leaving some money to your children and leaving some things and you have to work on filling out your last will and all of that. But listen to me. In the field of a minister, I'm in that setting all the time. They're going to appreciate the money, the more the merrier. And the way the world has changed, they're going to need it probably. (laughs) But you know what will matter more? Not what you have, but who you are and who you have. You know this. This video tugged at our heart to think about those things. And we may have an excuse when we've not looked to God. But today we have. Psalm 128. The blessed man. This Father's Day. May we all look to God. And say God help me. Help me with whoever is in my life, to show them your ways. Let's pray. Father, thank you so very much for Psalm 128. Thank you for three questions that speak to us deeply. Father, help us with those that are under us. And thank you for Christ our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.